Good morning. Good morning. I don't know if you noticed, but there's been momentum growing here this summer. There's been some, some energy boiling this summer. The last three months, uh, some, some pretty amazing stuff has happened in this community. And uh, we put together a video, actually, real quick. So before I get into the teaching, let's watch this video and, and see some of the stuff that God's been doing over the summer. What was great about this summer and, and working with Vacation Bible Schools is my plan for what I thought I was going to be doing was completely different than what was needed. And so being open to uh, what was needed was very important. Instead of working with um, elementary aged kids, I was asked to work with some older kids in producing um, skits for all of the elementary kids that were in VBS. And I, while I, that's not what I thought I was going to be doing when I signed up, that's what was needed. And I was able to do that. And, and filling that need was, was great. Learning and meeting and working with those kids, uh, I got to build a, a nice relationship, um, a spiritual relationship with some of those middle school kids. And I'm really hoping that I'll be able to carry that relationship and start working with more of the middle school age kids and all of that, so it was really awesome. So my husband and I have only been attending church here at First Christian since the spring, and I decided to volunteer for BBS as a way to get more plugged in and feel connected since it's such a big church, it's kind of hard to meet people, and so I was hoping to maybe make some mom friends and get to know some other families, and instead for the week, my best friends became a bunch of three and four year olds, which actually turned out to be awesome. And as another parent, I love being able to have people influence my kids and talk to them about Jesus so they know it's not just my husband and I. And it was neat getting to be that person influencing other people's kids and getting to love on them and share Bible stories with them and see them get excited and remember things from day to day. And it was just an awesome experience. And now when we come to church on Sundays, I think my family, we feel a little bit more at home here. And we see more familiar faces and I get to see those little kids again that I got to connect with. So it was a great experience. This was my third year going to camp. And I think every year the expectation just changes a little bit. Like my first year, I thought, oh, all we're gonna be doing is sit in there, reading the Bible, maybe have a few fun things, but it's different than that. You actually have more of a connection with God. You have more of a connection just with the people in general. My expectations of camp was like, just supposed to be really fun, like a bunch of fun people, a bunch of fun stuff, learn more about God. And the reality of it, we learned a lot more about God. We um, further our faith in Him and like, and just everyone there was just so nice and supportive and amazing. I've definitely seen God in more of a different way. When I first got into being a Christian and trying to understand God, it was really confusing, but camp has definitely helped me understand more of Him. I got baptized there, that was really fun too. Because like everyone just on the shoreline, just watching 
well, it was me and some other person, but watching me and like clapping for me when I was done, supporting me, like, yeah, it was amazing. It's amazing, really. So I'm at work and I get an email from my wife about a mission trip to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation uh, from Rob, Robin Siegenfuss. And, um, and I haven't done anything like that in a while, so I decided that I would go. And mostly, when we talked at a couple meetings beforehand, that it was more about uh, fixing up a community building uh, for the kids to use. And I thought, well, I can hammer a nail, so I'll, this, this will be all right. We pack up and go, and the first day really it was kind of kind of that. Like the kids were all gone uh, because they were with another church group somewhere else, and we didn't realize that. Um, we made some great progress the first day, but we were a little disappointed. We didn't get to spend any time uh, with the kids that ran around the area. The second day we we got there, and there were tons of children, and that was that was honestly the best part was just the kids uh, interacting with them and seeing how their lives are kind of different from ours and uh, just how we take so many things for granted and they, they don't necessarily have it. When I heard that uh, a big deal in the area is the teen suicide rate um, due to the feeling of hopelessness or, or really nothing beyond what they already have there, um, I think if we could provide some outside influence that they don't have think we can help that and if we just help one of those kids it'd be a great deal. The town itself felt like a big family. Like you could tell that everyone had their own little house and that everyone had their own family biologically but if you were to just step in it almost seemed like everybody was a, a giant family and that kind of sits with me because that's not how I mean I live. I don't live in a, a neighborhood where the people across the street are like my, you know, like my brother and sister or my cousin or anything like that. It's it's a completely different feel than anything I've ever done. There's no, there's no nothing I can think of that you can really compare of going on a mission trip. It's a, I would just tell them to you know try it out and go for it. You know, we, we're called upon as as Christians to kind of step out of our our comfort zone, so. I would, I would just do it. One thing that was really different was the homes. Like they were barely homes. They're made out of tarp and paper and like old garage doors. And so that really shocked me. It was very breathtaking. One of the things that I loved about the trip to Mexico and um, with Amor was that I had never gone on that sort of working trip before. Um, the I had no expectations. I was a newbie along with a lot of the other kids. And one of the things that my heart just really um, longed for and that I prayed about before we went on this trip was that God would just give me a great appreciation for the people, the leaders of this trip, um, to be able to make some connections. Because I am new, I felt like it was an opportunity to kind of step out and see what God was doing. And I felt like he completely answered that prayer because I was able to see specifically the leaders. I saw them in a completely different light, working with kids to teach them a skill set to build a house. But at the same time, they were investing in these students with genuine hearts of humility. And I was so 
It's not that I didn't expect that. I was just more so surprised at the humility that I saw from the leaders. And I just loved it. I loved it because I felt like God was kind of just opening my heart up to the community here in a new way. And I got to know people that I would have never gotten to know sitting in a chair on Sunday morning. And the leaders just love these kids and they want so much for these kids to know who Christ is. And it was just really beautiful to watch grown men and grown women get down and share life along building while building a house with these students. It was really great. It's a really life-changing moment and going with a bunch of people you don't know and you come out with a lot of great relationships and even deepening your relationship with God. And that's just really amazing and seeing the family's faces when you uh, finish the house and you give them the keys, it's just really amazing. Man, y'all don't quit. That was awesome. This summer was amazing. Look, look at, the, look at the, the impact that this community has had. I mean, God is moving in our community. Our people have been spending the summer building houses for families that have nothing, actively loving communities trapped in systemic poverty, and investing in the lives of literally hundreds of children and students. God is moving. And it's awesome. But it goes farther than just our community. It goes farther than just us. I mean, uh, uh, Tim and I were talking earlier this week. You, you know, this, this, this month, between us, Sherwood Church here in Council Bluffs, and City Light Council Bluffs, just three of the churches here in Council Bluffs, just three of them, between us three in the first few weeks of August, we baptized 23 people. 23 people. That's 23 individuals turning to Jesus, 23 families with the light of Christ that are there, 23 people turn to God. And that's just in three, three of the, the hundreds of churches across our city. Churches are being built here. Ministries are starting. Lives are turning to Jesus. It's getting exciting. It's always been exciting, but now it's ex like, it's exciting. All right? God has his eye on our city, and his people are answering the call. A little over three years ago, um, Angela and I, uh, we lived in Minnesota. Okay, we lived in Rochester, Minnesota. All right? And, and we, we came to Council Bluffs to visit First Christian Church, to visit you guys, uh, because we were, we were coming down for an interview. Uh, we were going to meet the staff and the elders, and we were going we to interview here, but we were also here to see if we felt called to this community. I have a confession to make. I didn't want to leave Minnesota. <laughs> I love Minnesota. Like, I, I grew up in Chicago, but for the last, for, the, for a few years before we came here, we were in Minnesota. And, and we, we loved it. We saw ourselves staying there for a long time. We had friends there. We had favorite restaurants. We had support networks. We had our favorite walking trails and, and parks. We knew where to go to get, find the best seats for the fireworks show. You know what I mean. We had a good church. We had a community that surrounded us. We really wanted to stay in that area. We certainly did not anticipate moving to Iowa. And even in there, we didn't anticipate moving to the far southwestern corner of Iowa. That just wasn't in the cards. 
So, but we, we didn't, we didn't want to dictate. There, were, there, was this, there was this conviction with us because we didn't want to dictate what God had planned for us based on simply where we were comfortable. So we had to see this through. So we came here and we visited this church. We visited you guys. And on the long drive back to Minnesota, my wife and I realized we had a problem. Our plans to stay in Minnesota had to change. We had to move to Council Bluffs. This was a bit problematic at the time because I had not yet been offered the job. <laughs> it just, yeah. <laughs> there was something about this church, something about this town. I really can't explain it. We both sense what I can only describe as a tangible feeling that God was moving here. Almost like we were perched on the edge of a volcano and it was about to blow. The ground was, was bubbling. The ground was shifting and a heck of a lot more than it did yesterday. I mean, it was It was shifting. <laughs> We wanted to be a part of that. And apparently the elders agreed. So the elders, thank you very much. I love it here. <laughs> and three years later, I'm raising my kids here. In the last three years, I have felt that level of excitement grow. And so have others in our city. As I talk with other ministry leaders in our area, there seems to be this shared sense of expectation. A sense of anticipation that whatever tomorrow brings, it is going to be exciting for the church. It's not a surprise to me when we have 300 kids here at VBS. It's not a surprise to me that our students are regularly working to change the lives of families in Mexico. It's not a surprise to me that God is moving here. That's why we wanted to come here. God is moving in our city. But God has always been moving in this city. In fact, he's been moving in every city since, well, forever, right? Now, I'm, not certainly, I'm certainly not trying to downplay what God is doing here. On the contrary, I am saying that what God is doing here is what God has been doing everywhere, forever. We need to have a sense of anticipation and excitement. We need to expect God to move in our communities because that's what he is doing. Because a fundamental element of the gospel, a fundamental fact of everything we believe is that the best days of the church, the golden age for God's people, are ahead of us. They're not behind. They're ahead of us. Our best days, our biggest blessings, most exciting existence for God's people is tomorrow. We need to let go of the notion that there was this moment in our past that we have to rediscover or recapture. We have to let go of the idea that the church is somehow decaying or crumbling and we're just here to keep it alive. Folks, we are not life support. We are not called to simply preserve the church. We are here to flourish. We are here to explode, to rapidly grow in every direction, backed by the unshakable momentum of the one who created the cosmos. We are here to flourish because the gospel, the freedom that flows from the grace that is in Christ, the gospel is for everyone, not just us. And every life that turns to him, every child that learns how to forgive, every family that models grace, every time that happens, 
the days ahead get brighter and brighter and really exciting. Our best days are ahead of us. The gospel is for everyone. We need to get excited about that. The gospel is for everyone, not just us. Jesus went to the cross for all of the failures, all the addiction, all the terrible, terrible mistakes that we've made. He died that death that was meant for us, for everyone. He paid the price for everyone. Romans 6 says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Most people wouldn't. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Hallelujah. While we were still sinners. Jesus took the burden of our sin while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to be good enough. He doesn't require us to be good enough. God doesn't require us to fix ourselves before coming before him because we can't really fix ourselves without him. Folks, God doesn't require us to meet him halfway. We don't have to clean up or dress up for God because we can do nothing apart from him. He died for us while we were still sinners. So if you're someone who is continually plagued by a terrible mistake, or a broken relationship, or a stubborn habit, if you're doing your best to keep the darkness at bay because you are somehow ashamed or afraid you'll fall apart, let it go. Let it go. You are accepted. You are loved. You are cherished. Let him carry that burden for you. Call on Jesus to carry that burden for you. Flipping ahead here to Romans 10. We're going to start in verse 11. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile. Gentile just means non-Jew. So Jew and non-Jew. So everyone. Are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not everyone who lives, sorry, not everyone who fixes their problems, not everyone who pays their debts, everyone who calls on Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like that as the people of God, as the church, do you ever feel like we can sometimes be guilty of having a higher standard than God? If Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, if he accepts us as we are, shouldn't we have the same level of grace towards one another? I mean, it's easy to love people that look like us that act like us. It's easy to have grace with people that remind us of ourselves. But the greatest witness of the gospel is not a group of people lockstep with one another because of these superficial things. We aren't Christians because of our ethnicity or our income level or our faith is not determined by our taste in music or even who we voted for in the last election. Guys, the greatest witness of the gospel The greatest witness of the presence of the Holy Spirit is a community that is diverse. 
different backgrounds, different opinions, but we all have unity in our identity in Christ. Christ is the source of our identity. Nothing else. Christ is the source of our unity. Yet we continually draw lines to determine who's in and who's out. Man-made lines. After all, the culture around us seems to be growing more and more polarized. More binary, more extreme with every passing hour. Every cause now makes an enemy of the opposition. It's not enough to like someone's ideas. Now culture wants us to hate their opponent's ideas as well. We shrink complex issues down to a single hashtag on social media or throw terms around like liberal or conservative like they explain the intricacies of a human identity. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. It's a divisive trick. Don't fall for it. That's not what the gospel is about. That's not what the church should be like. The gospel is for everyone, even those that disagree with us. The human identity is amazingly complex. There's a reason we were created with the image of God. Okay? It's amazingly complex and can't be categorized by a few simple hot-button issues. That's why you can be married to somebody for 30 years and still learn new details about your spouse every day. People are complex. That is the beauty that is humanity. Everyone has a story Guys, skip the titles, skip the categories and the hashtags, and learn the story of a person. Learn the story of a person. Because the gospel is for everyone, which means that we will be a church for everyone. All are welcome at his table. If you're hurting, take a seat. Take a seat at the table. If you're battling addiction, pull up a chair. If you have questions about identity and purpose, we have a place for you. We have a place for you. Everyone is welcome. This is God's church. And as God's church, we have a place for you because God has a place for you. Everyone, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Continuing here in Romans 10, verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone tell them without being sent? How can they believe in Jesus if they never hear anybody talk about Jesus? How will they hear about Jesus if no one tells them? We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the hands and feet of the gospel message. Jesus is for everyone. How does everyone hear about Jesus? Because we tell them. That's how it works. Now, as always, whenever I talk about sharing your faith or telling people about Jesus, often people clam up a bit. Not really sure what I'm asking about. It's like, I'm just not comfortable having that conversation. Right? It's, it's, it's icky territory or it's, or it's uh, awkward. I don't, I don't know enough to teach that is something I get a lot. See, we incorrectly assume that evangelism, evangelism is a fancy word for saying sharing the good news of Christ. So we, we incorrectly assume that evangelism requires super outgoing personalities or potentially awkward conversations. 
We think of evangelism as purely like an extroverted thing and that it involves standing at the corner handing out tracts or answering all of a skeptic's questions in a single conversation. No one's argued into the kingdom, folks. It doesn't have to be that way. Think back to the most influential people in your life. Why did they affect you so much? Who influenced your faith? My guess is that it was way more than just a single, simple conversation. There's a lot of people in my life who had a hand in leading me toward the faith that I have today. A lot of them. I could, I could fill a book. But if I had to pick, and for the sake of not keeping you guys here for six hours, I'm going to pick three. <laughs> the first of these people is my old friend Tim. Uh, Tim Lee was his name. Now, uh, I met Tim in seventh grade. Tim was interesting. Tim was uh, a PK, a pastor's kid, okay? Um, and he grew up homeschooled all through sixth grade. Um, so seventh grade was his first year in public school, and so seventh grade is where I met him. Um, and Tim was interesting because at seventh grade, he was like, like in my mind, he was like eight feet tall, but he's probably more like five. <laughs> he, he was tall. He had long hair. He looked like Jesus. He had long hair. He had a goatee at 13, which made him the coolest guy in the middle school, by the way. <laughs> he was also really into like uh, underground music at the time, so like punk rock and ska. It was, we were in Chicago, and it was a, kind of a big scene at that time. And so he was just this really cool guy, and he was my friend. He was a friend of mine, and we would hang out all the time at school. Our school had, like, these weekly dance dances that we would hang out at, and we were just, we were just good friends. But his faith was strong. His faith was palpable. And for a period of about six months, Tim relentlessly invited me to his Bible study, which, just so you know, for a 13-year-old who didn't go to church, that just sounded like a grand old time. <laughs> But he kept inviting me to his Bible study called Vision. Um, and I, I resisted. I avoided the invitation for like six months. But eventually I went. And see, Vision was interesting because there were no adults at Vision. Like he would, he would run through everything with his, with his dad, the pastor dad, um, beforehand. So don't, you know, parents are like, oh, no, no adults. No, no, no. There, there was an adult hand in it. But once 7 o'clock on Thursday hit, there were no adults in the room. It was just a group of 14 to 16-year-olds reading the Bible, eating pizza, and listening to good music. It was kind of awesome. It was in this environment that I made my first real Christian friends. And I also learned to read the Bible here. Okay? Tim led us through book studies and topical studies, and we had awesome conversation about what the Bible said and what role it should have in our lives. I started staying late several, several times, talking with Tim and his dad and some of our other friends, really just kind of trying to sink our teeth into what we had just read that night. Tim was a close friend, and he introduced me to the gospel over a period of several months and years. The second person on this list is my grandmother. Now, I called my grandmother Nani, okay? Nani. And the reason I called her Nani is because my parents were really young, and my, uh, my grandmother had a hand in raising me for those first couple years. And so in my toddler brain, Nani was a mixture between Nana, which is what we call grandparents and our uh, grandmothers in our family, so Nana, and Mommy. So the mixture between that for a three-year-old is Nani. And so I called her Nani, and all of my siblings called her Nani, and the name just kind of stuck. So Nani. Now Nani was interesting because she had seen hardship. Um, I've shared pieces of her story from this pulpit before, but um, she has actually uh, 
uh, there were many times in her life where she had lost everything. Okay, she had 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 pain, had people walk out on her, and had just an unimaginable unimaginable uh, uh, loss over and over again. But she was always filled to the brim with love and grace. Her faith was tangible. God was the source of her joy and God would never leave. So no matter what storms that she was wading through, she was always incredibly joyful. Nani never set out to explain the gospel to me, at least not to my knowledge. However, she modeled it in every single interaction that I ever had with her. When you spoke with Nani, she made you feel like the most important person in the room. And I never once saw her angry or cross at someone. She would give you the shirt off her back if you asked for it, even if it was her last one. I remember one time when she was walking around in winter with shoes with giant holes in them. Just giant holes in these shoes, just because she wanted to help my parents buy us Christmas presents. That was Nani. Her faith was strong, palpable, and never in question. To her, it was as if Jesus was always sitting at the chair next to her. Or sitting at the kitchen table, sipping a coffee, as she spoke audibly to him whenever she cooked. In my Nani's house, Jesus was as real as anyone else, if not more so. He was just there. I don't remember having a single in-depth theological conversation with Nani. We never studied the book of Romans together or talked about ministry or what the church should look like. Yet Nani taught me more about Jesus than probably any other person in existence just because that's that's who she was. The third person who had a huge influence on me was my youth pastor at our family's church. Um, as a young adult, uh, Jane Jebson was hired as our youth pastor right before I graduated high school. So I was never really one of her students, at least not in the traditional sense, not for very long. However, after I had been leading Vision, that Bible study I told you about, I started leading it a few years later, um, and I started discovering God's plan for me to go into ministry. It was Jane that recruited me uh, to help her lead a group of eighth grade boys um, during the middle school program. And so she's the one who first kind of recruited me to start doing ministry um, in, a, in a church setting. I loved it. These kids that I was working with were the same age I was when I first encountered Jesus. And so it was just, it was amazing to me. And then over the years with regular coaching, I became one of the regular leaders at this middle school event. Jane let me explore my calling, continually challenged me with more and more leadership opportunities, handing me books and doing Bible study. We, we learned a lot. I went to camp. I went on trips. I helped train new leaders. I even started dating and married her niece, Angela. But actually that year that I met Angela, our lead pastor at that church had, uh, had left uh, to pursue another, another ministry. And Jane was in an awkward spot and she ended up stepping into some church leadership roles and her plate became very full. And so she passed leadership of the junior high ministry to then my girlfriend, now my wife and I. And so we led that junior high ministry for several years. And it was, it was crazy because at first I was used to the, my, my, my group of eight eighth grade boys and now I had 80 students. But Jane coached us the whole way through. Jane sat with us. She prayed with us. She coached us. We led that ministry for several years. Even after we hired a new lead pastor, we stayed on and kept leading that ministry. That, that ministry. Jane taught me about the gospel by equipping me to share it with others. 
and then releasing me and trusting me to do so. See, there are so many more people that stepped into my life and influenced my faith. My parents, my friends, pastors, teachers, all of them left a mark on me and influenced how I live out my faith today. But these three are the ones that, I stand, that, that stand out when I think about who, quote, shared the gospel with me. Tim introduced me to the gospel by introducing me to scripture. Nani modeled it for me and taught me what grace and joy actually looked like. And Jane equipped me to tell others and trusted me with the task. A friend, a family member, and a teacher. None of them were street corner preachers. None of them influenced me in just a single simple conversation. I am who I am because they invested in me. Because they stepped into my life and walked with me. To Tim, I was a friend. To Nani, I was a grandson. And to Jane, I was a disciple but I was never a project. Romans 10, 15 says, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of the people that spread the gospel, that tell people about Jesus. Who are the people that stepped into your life? Whose life are you called to influence? Let me tell you a secret. 90% of ministry is simply presence. Most lives don't change because of a single conversation or a sermon. That's just a spark, an open door to send you on your way. Real life change happens in relationship, walking with your friends, walking with your family, being present in each other's lives. The gospel is for everyone. And that means we need to communicate it to everyone. Engage in relationship with everyone. Around us every day, there are people hurting. There are people who are suffering, living in fear and anxiety about how to get through the day. There are people who cannot see a way out of the dark tunnel that they found themselves in. It's discouraging. It's mind-numbing at times. I look at the state of the world, people bleeding both figuratively and literally, and at times I am frustrated. I'm reminded of a short excerpt in one of my very first devotionals. You've probably heard this before. It goes like this. A man distraught by all the pain and suffering around him breaks down and strikes his fist into the dirt. He turns upward and yells at God, Look at this mess. Look at all this pain and this suffering. Look at all this killing and hate. God, oh God, why don't you do something? And God spoke to him. And he said, I did. I sent you. Folks, if you're sitting around waiting on the world to change, that's not how it works. God sent you to change it. We are the church. We are the ones who are called to change the world. And we will change the world through our relationships. Not by our pretty words or our airtight arguments, but by investing in the people around us. By throwing parties. By praying. By building friendships. By serving at VBS and investing in the lives of children. By going to Mexico and building a house. By investing in the people around you. 
The time is now. The urgency is now because God is moving in this community. You feel it. I feel it. Jump on board. We have to bring this message. We have to invest in the people around us. We have to love our city. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. God is sending us to change the world. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, you are good. You are awesome. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for having the love for us that you did, that you would die for us while we were still sinners. We don't have to do anything to earn it. God, soften our hearts. Let us see the stories behind the people around us. Let us bring that love and that joy into our communities, into our families, into our neighborhoods. Let us be the influence. Let us be the hands and feet of your message. Introducing people to the gospel. Exemplifying the gospel. And trusting others to send it out as well. God, empower us. Equip us. We surrender to you, God. Use us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.